Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Caroline Odom. The 2020 election season has passed, but it leaves a lot to be unpacked. Greg Bluestein, a political reporter who covers the governor's office and state politics for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joins us for this episode and the next for a two-part series looking at Georgia's politics and the state's role on the national stage. Greg has been with the AJC since 2012 and also contributes to the AJC's Political Insider blog. Before joining the AJC, he worked for the Atlanta Bureau of the Associated Press, where he covered a range of beats including politics and legal affairs. Greg is also a graduate of the University of Georgia. He has degrees in journalism and political science. Today, Greg catches us up on covering the 2020 presidential election and Georgia's congressional runoffs, and he also tells us what's next on Georgia's political horizon. Greg discusses plans for a book he's working on, How the Peach State Turned Purple, and also shares when he knew he wanted to be a journalist and his experience of studying journalism at the University of Georgia. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Additionally, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, this episode of The Lead was recorded over Zoom. Thank you in advance for your patience with audio imperfections. Now, here's The Lead. Hi, Greg. Welcome to The Lead Podcast. It's so great to have you on today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'm really excited to hear about your experience of covering the presidential election and the runoffs in Georgia. I'm sure you've certainly been busy, so I'm just going to jump right in with the first question. How was covering this presidential election cycle different from other election seasons that you've covered? Yeah, well, the biggest difference in this presidential race is that Georgia was in play. If you look back at uh, I've been I've been covering politics in Georgia since 2000-ish at, at UGA when I covered Brian Kemp's run for state senate uh, when I was a sophomore or junior. Um, but every year since then, Georgia has not really been a battleground state. It has been mostly overlooked um, by by both parties, and that's for a good reason. Republicans dominated Georgia's election scene. Last time Republicans lost in Georgia was 1992. So. Um, for the last almost 30 years, um, Georgia has been a given uh, as, a, as a red state. In 2016, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump barely campaigned in Georgia. They didn't once visit Georgia after the primaries, and they didn't really have an operation here. Um, 2020 was completely different. They had giant teams of staffs here. We had visits from the principal candidates right up until Election Day. Obama came Clinton, uh, Trump came, um, Biden came twice, Kamala Harris came. So it was a wild and very, very close election season. And the biggest difference also is that there was no clear winner for a few days. Uh, I basically stayed up for three nights straight as the election tallies came in and uh, Biden surpassed Trump um, in the vote totals. And it was a very um, you know, historic moment in Georgia. Well, as you mentioned, you were covering this race during a time of intense change um, for Georgia and even turbulence. And I know I often felt very overwhelmed by the amount of information being thrown at me as a consumer of news. So as a reporter, how do you discern what information the public should know first? 
That's a great question because you, some things you expect and some things are um, surprises, right? And, and, and there's a balance of the two. There's a lot of things that happen on the campaign trail where you get a heads up about, or there's event-based coverage where you can, you can kind of game plan out what's gonna happen. And then there's the sudden momentous news that could break on a Friday afternoon or a weekend or, or past midnight even in some cases. Um, and what you have to do as a, as a journalist and a hard lesson I learned working for the Red and Black um, when I was a student was you've got to know your audience. And the red and black, the audience, and at UGA, the audience is generally the campus, the university community, Athens. Um, for my purposes, the audience is, is the state. So what is most important to Georgia voters? What do Georgia voters need to know? Because what's happening in Washington or you know, the national story of the day in, in, in DC or in the White House isn't necessarily gonna drive the, the, the campaign coverage or the story of the day in Georgia. So what Washington reporters are focusing on is gonna be very different than what we're focusing on. And then, you know, uh, you know, my colleagues who work for, um, for, for, for local newspapers have a completely different strategy than I do, because if you're working for the Columbus newspaper or the Macon TV station, you've got a different audience than I do as well. So they've got to, they've got to focus that coverage on, on, on what's, why it matters to Augusta or why it matters to, to Gainesville, Georgia, or why it matters to Atlanta. So now that President Biden has been inaugurated and Representatives Ossoff and Warnock have been sworn in, what topics do you expect to focus on? It's a great question because 2022 has already begun. <laughs> we, we didn't get much of a rest. Um, the, the campaign shenanigans are already happening a little bit more behind the scenes than they will soon. But um, there's already races for governor and U.S. Senate and all the statewide seats that are already starting to shape up in the legislature. Uh, probably one of the biggest stories right now playing out is voting issues, the battle over voting rights. Republicans want to make it harder for people to vote by mail um, after losing the November election, uh, in part because a surge of Democratic votes came by mail. Uh, and Democrats say that any effort to restrict absentee ballots is an effort to disenfranchise voters. So there is a epic battle going on at the, at the, the legislature. And then it's also covering the personalities in the, the new personalities and some of the old ones in Georgia politics. Um, senators Ossoff and Warnock are probably the two, two of the most interesting senators in Washington because they're Democratic senators from what used to be a red state. So everything they do is newsworthy. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the newly elected Republican from Northwest Georgia who's causing a controversy by the day. And there are two new Democratic Congress members, Nakima Williams, and Carolyn Bordeaux, um, who are staking out their own uh, uh, reputations in Washington. Carolyn Bordeaux flipping a very swing, very competitive district in Atlanta suburbs, and Nakima Williams literally inheriting John Lewis's seat. Um, and of course, for folks at UGA in Athens, there is Andrew Clyde, the gun store owner who lives right outside of town, who won that open seat. So a lot of new faces and personalities to cover. In, in, in Georgia over the next few years. It certainly sounds like there's a lot to look forward to that will keep you busy, but there's also a lot to reflect on from this these past few years. And you recently announced that you will be writing a book on Georgia's 2020 and I guess 2021 elections titled How the Peach State Turned Purple. So can you share what you plan to include in that book and how your reporting will be incorporated? Yeah, for me, 2020 is still not over. <laughs> so I've been just interviewing um, dozens of people um, to, to help build out this narrative. 
but yeah, we'll look at how, uh, to, to, I think one of the biggest um, falsehoods, I guess, about, about Georgia in 2020 was that this was some overnight success for Democrats. And in fact, it took years of on the ground work. Um, so we'll be tracing those steps, really honing in on 2017 and the 2018 race for governor. Um, follow that to all the, the wild um, nuttiness of 2020. And then of course, the runoffs after that, uh, the nine week epic runoffs, the most expensive US Senate races in the nation's history that, that ended with an unprecedented upset victories by, by the two Democratic senators that literally flip control of the chamber. So there's so many stories to tell and so many interesting tidbits I'm picking up. Um, now the, the hard part is like putting it all in a book. That's very exciting. And now that we've talked a little bit about where you are now and what you have to look forward to, I'd love to talk about your experience at the University of Georgia and in Athens because you are a dog, a Georgia alum. So what led you to studying journalism? And then once you made that choice, you know, what at Grady and at the University of Georgia prepared you for your career in journalism? Yeah, so I've wanted to be a journalist since I was in the fourth grade when the AJC's beat writer, IJ Rosenberg, came to speak to my class. <laughs> I remember coming home and telling my mom, I, I wanted to go cover the Braves, just like IJ Rosenberg did. Um, and then over the, I, somehow she reminded me that to be a reporter, you had to learn how to type. And I thought that was gonna be too hard. So I said, I'll do something easier, I'll be a doctor. <laughs> so after like spending most of high school struggling with like AP chemistry and classes, I just wasn't, topics I'm just, I struggled with. Um, my best friend in, in high school, her name was Jessica Schiffman, and I was hanging out at her house, and um, her dad worked for CNN, and um, there was breaking news happening, and we were just kind of watching TV, and he says, we're, we're, you know, it's all hands on deck at CNN. We're all going to the headquarters. Do you guys want to come with us? Jessica kind of rolled her eyes, and I was like, yeah, let's go. And I just, you know, that relit the spark, that rekindled the, the passion for me to go into journalism, and uh, I remember going to the school library and I, I kind of knew I was going to go to UGA because of the Hope Scholarship. And um, we just, I didn't have some big college fund. I was going to go, I was going to use Hope Scholarship if I, if I could. And um, I remember going to the school library not that long after and putting into some search engine like UGA and journalism and Grady College of Mass Communications showed up and I started doing some research. This was, I think, junior year. And, and then, of course, I intensified that research going into senior year. But right when I got to campus, uh, one of the first things I did was I joined the Red and Black and um, as, a, as a beat reporter. And I remember it wasn't that long after I joined the Red and Black when I got the call. And it was a call that like everyone kind of either dreaded or got excited about. But it was a, uh, the call from the legendary UGA journalism professor, Conrad Fink, and he wanted to see me. And um, one of, my, one of the, uh, the editors said, uh-oh, you, know, you better get ready, Fink wants to see you. And I was so nervous because I already heard about the legend of Fink and how hard he was, what a badass he was. And so I remember going into his office as a freshman, clutching that day's edition of the Red and Black in my hand, opening the door, walking in, and before I could even sit down and, and really introduce myself, he snatched it out of my hand and he pointed at it and he goes, this is the most important thing you can do in your four years here. He threw it at me. He goes, now get out of my office. And <laughs> that started... Um, a four-year plus friendship uh, where pretty much every day or every other day, I'd go into his office 
and I just get beat, you know, in a good way, beat down and, and um, honed by him. And he would, he would help crap, you know, just like the editors at Red Blackwood, but he was another pair of eyes who would just say, Bluestein, why did you lead with this story? Bluestein, you know, why did, why did you ignore this part of the story? Or Bluestein, when I was an editor, why did you put this on front page? Or what were you thinking here? Or you're too close to this story. Or, um, and, you know, he, he was one of the foundational figures in my career. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I don't know that I've had a professor who sounds quite as colorful as <laughs> Professor Fink, but I've certainly had professors who have made an impact on my current, you know, state as a student and probably my future career as well. And I, and by the way, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you and your listeners to go seek them out because sometimes it takes, sometimes it's not as easy as Fink wanting to summon you, a, a character like that. Sometimes you've got to do all that on your own. But once you find someone who you feel like can be a mentor of yours, can help, can, or you can force yourself to be a protege of theirs, um, you're in this, you're, you have this opportunity to do that. And I think a lot of professors would love that chance especially if, if, if the students showed a little bit of interest first. I got lucky because that was just who Fink was. He did that with a lot of students. Um, but um, uh, uh, but that was his, his MO and he made you feel special. Well, on the topic of relationships, I do want to ask a more personal question. You include on your Twitter bio that you are a husband and a father. So how do you balance a demanding reporting job, especially during the craziest year ever with those roles. Yeah, well, this year is even weirder because of the pandemic, because now my two kids were basically my office mates over the last year or so. My wife has a demanding job, so she's out, out of the house every day, um, usually really early in the morning. Um, and so for most of the, at least the first part of the year, the kids were in virtual school together um, and, and I was working somewhere in the house on whatever was happening in not just the political races, but also the pandemic. I mean, I was for a while, everyone at the AJC was a science reporter. And that meant um, lots of long hours, lots of late nights covering the latest details in the pandemic and the governor's decisions and all the, all the different things that set up. Um, so it's a unique balancing, I thank God for my wife who, who took the lead in organizing events for the kids and ways to keep them occupied. Um, we, um, you know, they got, to, they, got to, they got to learn a lot about streaming videos and things. They're, we're getting better about that now, but early on we didn't, we didn't know how long um, this would last and virtual school would last. So we kept thinking, oh, it'll only be a couple more weeks. Oh, it can't last past the summer. Oh, you know, it can't last past January. And as it stands right now, um, we are in, uh, we're still in virtual school for at least one of my kids. So it's been a, it's been a daily challenge, but look, they've adapted. And, and frankly, like I've taken them on the campaign trail with me sometimes just to see what daddy does. And this is nothing new. Like I've been taking uh, my oldest with me for a while, but they get to go out. If there's a, if there's a, you know, an outdoor event, um, that is, that is you know, friendly to kids I've dragged them along and, and they got to interview themselves. They got to interview all four of the Senate runoff candidates um, by, uh, by November, really. Uh, and they made YouTube videos about it. So they got, they got kind of a, a close in view of what I do every day, which was fun. Wow. What a fun opportunity for, for you and I'm sure for them as well. Well, as a final question, and you kind of already alluded to this when you spoke on relationships with professors, 
But what other advice do you have for current journalism students? Um, get involved. The most important thing I did, as I mentioned, was getting involved in the Red and Black, but it doesn't have to be the Red and Black. It could be a news source. It could be Flagpole. It could be the Banner Herald. It could be a startup publication. It could be something I've never heard of. But just getting involved because you've got the opportunity to get hands-on experience. And the most important thing that hiring editors are going to look at, whether they're newspapers or websites or any TV stations, radio stations, outlets, any sort of, really any field uh, in journalism and media is going to be the work you produce. Like they'll look at your transcript and of course they'll, they'll, they'll be really keenly interested in your interview, but they're going to look at your work experience, your clips, your, you know, your, your, your cuts. I mean, what you've produced over four years, because what they want to know is that you'll be ready. Um, they're not expecting you to be ready to write A1 stories for the Washington Post right off the bat. But what they will want you to do is be ready to slip right into a role and be willing to um, and be able um, to, to deal with instruction and, and deal with the rigors of the field. And at UGA, you've got this awesome opportunity to do that because there's stories happening left and right, especially right now in the middle of the pandemic, how a school is coping with an unprecedented crisis. Um, and there's always ways to write local stories about the things that are happening nationally and shaping our society. Greg and I will continue our conversation about Georgia politics on the next episode of The Lead. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I'm your host, Caroline Odom. This episode was produced with guidance from Dr. Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and to hear from more interesting media leaders like Greg, subscribe to The Lead on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Lead Podcast. Until next time.